This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Have you taken a minute to reach out to Dave and Jason at SR3? Or what about Mario over at LSC? Or maybe Jimmy at Breeze Eastern? They're not only sponsoring this podcast, these guys are actually friends of mine. So if you have not reached out to them, now is the time. Heck, even call them just to get a t-shirt or a hat, sport their logo, and wear it proud. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help you with your helicopter training, a standardization check, a safety check, or maybe just an audit or an annual FAA refresher. They are ready to bring your agency up to date with the current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am a part of, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operation, and night vision goggle use. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with the personal protective equipment inspection course and the highly specific Lazard, which is used in helicopter cliff and mountain rescue, or like our guys over in Norway, who think outside the box, and they used it on a vessel that was pitching and rolling. SR3 Rescue Concepts goes beyond the helicopter world too. They also provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com and follow them over on Instagram at SR3 underscore rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets and the litters, and of course the most popular hoist in all of helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts bends, sews, welds, and machines these products into existence every day. As they like to say, we do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear, at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And we have Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to us, the rescuers, and the operators, and those rescued, has not. Contact Breeze Eastern today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. Killer time with my next guest. Uh, it's great because I, it's the first time I've been able to get a United States Coast Guard pilot onto the show, so I'm super happy to have that. Um, he's got a bunch of good cases that he talks about um, and how to get into a little bit of what to do to become a Coast Guard pilot. But even more so, I was so happy that he came on because it was great to recap some of our old stories and some of our time together in Humboldt Bay. So please welcome Mr. Matt Hardgrove. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day 
so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Real Rescue Podcast. With me today, United States Coast Guard pilot, Mr. Matt Hardgrove. What's up, dude? Hey, Jason. How you doing, man? I'm glad to be here with you. Thanks, man. How are you, sir? (laughs) Doing well, doing well. Good, good. It's been a long time since you and I have actually seen each other, huh? Yeah, I mean, decade, a decade, right? Or more. Holy cow, it has been a yeah. decade. <laughs> wow, well, gee, when you put it like that, dickhead. Yeah, Come let's on. not, uh, we'll just <laughs> skip past, past that. <laughs> oh, so you and I, Matt, to, to give everybody a little back history, we were stationed in Humboldt Bay together. Uh, you were there, you were not a pilot at the time. You were there as Correct. one of the officers um, that just get tasked in the unit. Yep. Yep. I was, uh, so I wanted to go to flight school from uh, day one, but because I needed eye surgery, they sent me to uh, the group air station. So uh, I could gain some experience of what it's like to be at an air station, but also just uh, conducting normal officer duties. So I was in the command center, uh, surface operations stuff. um, And from there I was able to apply, get get eye surgery and then apply to flight school. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And while we were there, if I do say so myself, we had a really good time because it was a group of us that would play football every uh, Saturday because we had to make sure it was after college football and we had to do it before <laughs> Sunday so we could watch the NFL. Exactly. And I, I think we literally got kicked off every field in the entire town because oh, yeah. they were like, stop wearing your cleats. And we're like, what are you talking about? We're trying to help the water drain. You know, I mean, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot to do there, I guess. But uh, when we were trying to have some good old fashioned backyard football fun, oh, it became kind of difficult. It was awesome. <laughs> we actually our, our last football field that we ended up going to was permission from my kid's school principal said, yeah, use the field all you want. It's kind of tore up. Watch out for some of the gopher holes. <laughs> <laughs> so and then uh, we took our football team down to Alameda. And as much as I hate to say it, but we did come in second place. And we should have come in first. And the only play that I remember out of the whole thing was something that we would say if somebody was like off me, because you were quarterback and I was a receiver and I would yell hot route, hot route. Yeah. That was the movie. I, I I mean, that, that experience, first of all, just playing backyard football and humble probably saved my career to be honest with you, between you and me, just because it was a, it was a big transition from the DC area out to uh, you know, humble Bay, uh, California, which was, it was quite opposites. And I really was kind of a fish out of the water until we started that group of, of weekend warriors playing sports. And it really kind of built that camaraderie at the air station that I was looking for when I first joined the coast guard. And then we went, took the team down to Alameda playing against (laughs) guys who had coat, they had like civilian coaches and playbooks and, and we were undersized and undermanned, and we oh, took it to the championship. It was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, I have that moment seared into my brain, that hot route, man, like right in the end zone. <laughs> you peeling off to the, the corner of the end zone on the flag route and just like, I mean, just a awesome. huge target there. It was great. It was, oh, anything was, anything was, I threw your way, you were coming down with. Yeah. Hands of gold. It was, it was beautiful. Oh, what a good time. Great time. Yeah. I, I had a it blast. Was, that was a great week. Yeah. It was. Gosh. <laughs> I remember being so sore too. Cause all right. So Alameda from Humboldt is like a six hour drive. Yeah. And at, when we were done the next day, uh, cause we had to, 
So we lost game two and had to win our way back to the championship and then beat that team twice. Well, we lost in game two, yeah. but we had to play all the other games. So next thing you know, like I'm sitting in a car with like three other dudes, four other dudes, we get home and I can't move for like three days because of. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we're, oh. we were playing both ways, you know, they, was, the, the team we played, if I remember correctly, had like ex-collegiate players who were, you know, <laughs> offense and a defense. And yeah, I mean, they were stacked. So yeah, two, I think, I think two of them had college scholarships and one of them yeah. blew out his knee or something. And like, good for him for coming into the Coast Guard, but he's like straight up running back for uh, oh, yeah. you know, division one. <laughs> they were very good. <laughs> oh, so much. We fun. hung in there though. We hung in there. It was yes, good. We did. And we had a good time. So, um, so now, Matt, let me get to you. Can uh, introduce yourself to everybody, kind of tell everybody where you're from and how you got into the Coast Guard. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I grew up in the uh, Maryland, Virginia, uh, D.C. area, um, lived overseas for a little bit. My dad was NCIS. So I've kind of been around the military um, growing up. And I knew I, I was leaning towards that kind of a life for myself. And I knew that I always wanted to get involved with aviation. I, you know, I had wanted to be a pilot since as long as I can remember. Um, so it was kind of a, a matter of which, which route I wanted to take. Um, I initially thought the Navy kind of scratched that. Then I was like, okay, Air Force, um, wanted to fly jets. I was doing Air Force ROTC out of uh, James Madison with UVA. Um, so I'd commute to UVA a couple of times a week to, to do that wasn't really my cup of tea. I, I, it was a lot more, um, it just wasn't what I expected. And I, I kind of bounced out of that before I had to make a official commitment thinking that I could always go back and go the uh, OCS or OTS as they call it route, the officer candidate school route after yeah. I graduated. Um, well, I graduated, I still wanted to go that route and they were not taking anyone. And I was kind of getting antsy at my parents' house, um, trying to get out. And I, <laughs> started re-looking at all the other branches again. Um, and honestly, the Coast Guard wasn't even really on my radar, but uh, I was a lifeguard at Bethany Beach in uh, Delaware. Nice. And this was 2005. So I remember sitting in the guard shack watching uh, Hurricane Katrina unfold on the Weather Channel every day. And that, and I, that was kind of what put the Coast Guard on the map for me, to be honest. I was like, oh, look at that. Coast Guard's uh, doing great things down there. And they have... A lot of helicopters and planes. They got aviation. I didn't even know it. I thought they were just boats. So it was almost like a light bulb went off in my head. Um, I remember going home that night and I called my dad and we both kind of were like blurted out at the same time. What about the Coast Guard? You know, oh, it just had nice. everything. Yeah, it just like I mean, it had everything I, I needed. I you know I was a, I was a I was a big swimmer. I was a lifeguard for so many years. So I was like really interested in the rescue swimmer program. I was an environmental science major, and then it also had the aviation that I wanted. So it kind of had three different routes that I could take. So I went to the recruiter like the next day in uh, uh, Southeast DC and, and you know, put my application in right then and there. Um, got picked up off the waiver. So yeah, so got the, went through the process, did all the legwork, uh, the results came out and I, I, was, I was like the second, I was on the waiver. So I didn't okay. make it. I didn't get picked up for the first try. Um, you're, I put in another um, application and then maybe a month later, I got a call from the chief, uh, Chief Jeter was his name. Uh, hey, you got picked up off the waiver wire. Someone broke their arm or something like that. Wow. Uh, can you be there in five days? And I was like, five days? 
you know, I just signed a lease in Bethesda. I, I was working a, a civilian job uh, as an environmental consultant. I, I wasn't happy. So I was, I was like, heck yeah, I'll be there. And I went, put in my uh, two day notice and uh, you know, had a little argument with my boss, yeah. had to get out of the lease, packed up my bags, went to see uh, the opening night of, uh, of uh, uh, shoot. The uh, the movie with uh, Essen Kushner. The rest yes, of the Guardian. Yes. The Guardian literally came out that Friday. Went and saw it uh, opening night, the Uptown in DC, and then uh, left on Sunday to check in Monday. Um, so yeah, I mean that's it was a wild fantastic. ride. It was kind of and, you know, that's where the world that's where the whirlwind started and it kind of never stopped. Um, but awesome. it was a great, you know, not looking back. It was a great time. Great decision. Man. Awesome. All right. So that's now, how we got on the Coast Guard. Yeah. Okay. So, and then, all right. So, we met in Humboldt Bay. And then from Humboldt, you went to flight school right after that, right? Correct. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, out of flight school. Well, actually, if you can touch on a little bit of flight school, because I've never actually talked about any of this as far as where flight yeah. school is and, and what it takes to be a pilot in the Coast Guard. What do you got to do? So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of steps uh, to get there. Um, one, you have to be an officer. Uh, so either academy, uh, a direct commission aviator from another branch or uh, officer candidate school. So um, and then there's a, there's requirements to get to officer candidate school. So I came in as a civilian, which I needed to have a college degree and then go through the application process. And that's kind of what I just touched on. So I I went through officer candidate school and then from there you can apply directly to flight school. Um, it's a pretty competitive process. And I wasn't even I couldn't even put an application because. I needed to have 20, uh, I want to say 2050 vision. Um, and I was 2100 and I wore contact lenses at the time. So um, that was a no go. I had known Air Force guys that I was friends with in the ROTC that had, were flying F-16s and they, were, they had received eye surgery. So I was pretty confident that I was going to be able to do that. But when I got to Humboldt, uh, the flight doc there kind of put up a barrier and uh, you know, it was a little difficult to get it done, but I, I worked with the command and I was able to go to Traverse Air Force Base and get it done. Nice. Um, so that was like, that was a big, that was a big hurdle to get through number one. Then uh, I had to submit an application through the command and um, Captain Butt at the time and Captain Martino were great um, with uh, getting me uh, some great recommendations. And then, uh, you know, some, some hurdles there. My, my waiver for PRK was lost. So I, my application was, why yeah, of course, it you know, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, I, I got there, I got picked up and I, I made it to flight school. So, so flight oh, and then is in there was, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but I almost, what I almost uh, threw all of my opportunities away, mountain biking in Humboldt. Oh my God. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so this is, Oh, I oh, always you, wanted, yeah. Oh yeah. yes. Let's get into <laughs> I that. Thought, I thought this was going to be question number one, but uh, I, I forgot about this. Oh, this is, yeah. what a great man. Oh, so, anyway, go, 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 go. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a pilot and I always knew that. But when people ask, sometimes I throw this story in because it kind of uh, is a great segue into becoming a pilot. So, mountain biking in Humboldt on the couch trail. Uh, I was not not good at biking at the time. <laughs> I was still a beginner on a low end bike and I was bombing down the hill, took a tumble. Don't know how it happened, but next thing I knew, I was looking at my kneecap showing on the, on the mountain. Um, this was, I'd already gotten orders to flight school at this time. So I was supposed to check in in two months and 
uh, anyway, uh, shout out to uh, Nick by Candy. Uh, yeah, Nick. <laughs> hung out with yeah, pretty much hung out with me it, it, like until the other guys, Andrew Jaron Lemick and uh, uh, Alex Barker, who is now yeah, I believe an EO somewhere, but uh, he they rode to get help because um, there was no cell phone service. Nick stayed with me, kind of had the tourniquet ready to go, and uh, and the, you know, Arcada fire fire department and paramedics hiked down. We're able to uh, to assess and uh, and as it started getting dark and they were kind of I could tell in their faces that it was going to escalate and I was like please do not call the Coast Guard because I did not want to get hoisted out of there. Lo and behold, yeah, they're like we're going to have to call the Coast Guard. I'm like come on man, like can you just put some staples in it and like hike me out of here? Just drag me. And they're they're like I'll walk you know, out of here. Come on, they're man. like you, you're not walking out of here, man. Like. You, <laughs> You're going to do way more damage. So anyways, I get hoisted. Uh, so, you know, awesome. and that's so I can say, I, you know, I was saved by the Coast Guard and, and that's why I wanted to become a pilot <laughs> and fly the 65. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah, I was lucky. The recovery. Yeah, I was a, I was so lucky that it wasn't an ACL. It was just an LCL and MCL. So the recovery time was uh, was was quick and I uh, was able to check in the flight school on time. Oh, beautiful. That, yeah. Nice. Oh my God, I but, can't believe I forgot yeah, about that story. That, that yeah, was so funny. It's wild. I remember coming back with a big old thing around your leg, and I'm like, what did you oh, yeah. do? Yeah. yeah, by the way, guys, I, I, I'm not going to make football. <laughs> yeah, knock on wood, still have no issues with that knee to this day. So, dude, that's awesome. Lucky, real lucky. All right. So, um, uh, now flight school is in Pensacola. Flight school is in Pensacola, correct? Yeah. It's a Navy program that the Coast Guard goes to. Uh, also the Marines, and then there's some Air Force and then some international students that attend there. Uh, the other big one for the Army would be Fort Rucker in uh, Alabama. But Pensacola uh, is the big one for naval aviation. Yep. And then after you graduate that section, where do you go? From, uh, from Pensacola, you'll go to uh, ATC Mobile, uh, which is where you will, for well, at least for 65 pilots, You'll go to ATC Mobile and you'll go through your co-pilot syllabus there. Um, and so that you, when you check into your unit, you will be a designated co-pilot. And sometimes you will go to the unit first and you'll hang out and wait until you get to a transition course is what it's called. Um, okay. But I was lucky enough to get orders to go straight there with a minimal delay. Nice. Cool. Very cool. Now, uh, and everybody that doesn't know, ATTC, ATTC Mobile is in Alabama, the bottom of yeah, Alabama. Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, it's it, when, when Matt talks about being a training unit, it's a lot of training for even air crew. And like there, there's a boatload of swimmers there, boatload of uh, hoist operators there. And, and they're like, one of my buddies, Kurt Rebels was down there and he says, you know, next thing you know, you'll be in the, in the water and you got, Five sixty-fives lined up, just training. All right, we got swimmer ops today. One, two, three, four, five. He's in the same guy in the water. <laughs> oh yeah. So it's yeah, you know. it's a factory down there. Um, yes, it is. Putting out some um, good, good products. So from there, you go to your first unit, which is Air Station New Orleans. Nice, good spot. So yeah, I, great I spot. imagine that is where you got your very first case. Absolutely, and and then some. 
Um, yeah, New Orleans, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was not, I did not want to go to uh, New Orleans. I've been trying to get to Hawaii and not to like uh, <laughs> out there my whole career, but, uh, and I kind of wanted to get away from the Gulf, but you know, I was, I was really lucky to have landed that spot. I ended up making lifelong friends. Uh, we pretty much had six guys who checked in all within six months of each other. And they're still some of my best friends. Um, and then I, you know, I also met my wife down there. So that was great. I, I enjoyed my time in New Orleans a lot. Cool. Yeah. So what was your very first case? Uh, so, you know, I may have had a case, like a first light bogus uh, launch as my first case, but the one that I remember first, and it may have been my actual second case, but it was the 6535. Your first case is a 6535 crash, which is a Coast Guard helicopter that crashed out of Mobile. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, we were the, uh, we, I was on the Bravo crew, which was the recall crew. Um, so we had a, I was at home. I could, I could be recalled from my house. And I remember, uh, you know, talking to my roommates and they were all like, Hey, look, we, there's a couple crews that, um, you know, they, they haven't checked in after their training flight in uh, mobile, like everyone's a little worried. And I was like, Oh, they're probably fine. You know, they're probably at downtown mobile downtown getting pizza waiting for the weather to get better you know i just was trying to stay optimistic but uh then i get the call from the ops end saying you're being recalled for a first light and that's when i kind of knew that things were uh were not looking up um so i got got real very quick and i i went to work tried to sleep you know but it's tough to sleep when when you know what what's uh what's coming in the morning um We ended up launching into uh, some some pretty crappy weather. Uh, it was low IFR. I, I remember getting, we pretty much made it to the Mississippi River uh, by the skin of our teeth over some power lines and kind of sat there and picked up an IFR clearance to get over to Mobile Bay. And then once we got to Mobile Bay, it clean, cleared up. Um, and, you know, we I was super pumped. Like, you're just ready to go, especially when it's one of your own. Um, we're just, you know, we're going to get there. We're going to get these guys, you know, you have a lot of optimism. And then uh, after your, you know, after your, your second sword or so, you start to lose hope quickly. And and then your mind starts to stray and um, it gets real hard to stay focused. And then it just becomes very real. And uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was an extremely difficult case uh, once the adrenaline wore off and, and we were, we were bagged out, um, you know, everyone was pretty torn up. The reality set in that, that these guys were, um, you know, once they recovered the aircraft, it was, it was pretty much uh, a recovery operation at that point. And it was just, it was tough, man. Um, I mean, it was, we still sit around and talk about it some, sometimes over a beer with the guys and, and start telling stories and it, and it just gets somber. And then, you know, then we'll tell some, some jokes about, the guy we knew on the, on the flight, Thomas Cameron, and uh, we'll laugh a little bit and then it'll get sad again. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one that we'll, that we'll never forget. Um, We'll never forget the guys on that crew. That's for, you know, that's for sure. Holy cow, Matt. Yeah. Your first case is going out for your own. That's uh, that's pretty gnarly. Yeah. And I was, and I was just, I was very green at the time. So I, you know, who, I was just kind of along for the ride. Uh, aircraft commander was was really um, running the show when, when it comes to all of the uh, the specifics. But 
um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a tough one to start on. That's for sure. Yeah. No kidding. Well, you know, I, I'm glad you recovered and, and moved on because I'm actually going to move forward from that. And, uh, as I told you just a little while ago offline, like if I Google your name a little bit and come to find out, you've got a couple of awards from some, some good cases, including two air medals. And, yeah. you know, I was, uh, like I told you, I was going to read these. Um, and as I'm reading them, they're, they're straight up like hurricane. So I, I'm going to touch on number one real quick. And <laughs> dude, you're, you're the man because right here. So a citation to accompany the award of the air medal to Lieutenant Matthew G. Hardgrove, United States Coast Guard. Lieutenant Hardgrove is cited for meritorious achievement for aerial flight from 26 August 2017 to 02 September 2017 while serving as aircraft commander in response to the devastation caused by Hurricane Harvey. Man, so just the fact that you're in Hurricane Harvey stuff, I mean, you got, I, I know, like I've already talked to guys about hurricane harvey as well as yeah as well as some of the other ones but let's start with harvey and what stands out in your mind from that hurricane yeah that was uh that was wild you know like i i you know i was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right right time um to be chosen to go to these hurricane responses and then uh in turn get the awards i mean there's i, I i'm i'm very confident that any one of us in this service could have could go and perform and do these uh do the missions you know that's kind of how this organization works right i mean we're all very very capable and it just ha just happens to be like who's in the right place at the right time so i was lucky enough to get chosen to go out to hurricane harvey which is a weird thing to say you know like it's a weird thing to, to feel lucky to go to an area that's being devastated but you know that's what that's what we're signed up to do right. um to respond and, and help people and um someone's bad day is like one of our greatest achievements it's it's kind of yeah. a weird concept but that's it, kind of how it works right I totally agree with you um yeah harvey was nuts you know like i remember getting in there uh and getting off the c-130 that transported us from new orleans um which i i had originally come from puerto rico uh and i was like it was just nasty out it was i was like wow i can't believe there's there's aircraft launching in this and it was pretty much as soon as we hit the ground, like people were grabbing vests and crews and helicopters and, and getting ready to launch. So um, I I got off, as soon as I got to the Opsan from the C-130, I pretty much um, took over the B-0 with uh, uh, Brian Mishka. And uh, so we didn't launch right away, but we were going to be the ready crew overnight. And uh, we ended up getting, a, uh, getting launched for a case, but we... Uh, we had to uh, turn it down because there was some bands coming through that were generating tornadoes and, and extreme weather. And a, a couple of other aircrafts had to PEL into baseball fields and stuff. So we were like, yeah, we're going to have to wait for this band to pass. And um, so it wasn't until the next morning that we actually launched. And I mean, it was, it was definitely wild. Like I remember walking out to the helicopter thinking like, I can't believe we're taking off in this. Um, and there were some moments when the visibility was so bad, you're just looking through your chin bubble and we were pretty much following a, uh, following the highway systems in Houston. Um, and it was kind of rules of the road, you know, we'd stay on the right side and then the aircraft coming back would be on the, 
uh, passing down your left side and wow. you're just hoping that everyone's following the same, the same rules. Um, <laughs> I, I think we were very lucky as an organization to get out of there without any uh, serious uh, midair collisions. Um, but uh, thankfully everything worked out all right. And we were able to do a lot of good stuff. Uh, I'll never forget getting into one of the, the main operating areas and you looked over and it just looked like something out of a, an, a movie where there was just like these hovering alien ships everywhere, just, and then swimmers just pew, 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 going down all over the place. I mean, it was, I can't even, I can't even describe it. Like it was, it was wild. And you just, you were just flying around trying to fit in somewhere to, to pick somebody up. I mean, the, the whole area was, was under, underwater essentially. Wow. Dang, man. Yeah. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah, it was wild. Um, there was, uh, I think one of the first, uh, was, we were kind of in an area looking to, looking to see if we could find any immediate signs of distress. And I see someone waving and I'm like, okay, like pull into a harbor, rescue check part two. And I'm like, oh, it's a rescue swimmer. And we pull in and, uh, and they start giving us the signals for deploy the people get in the basket, they come up, he asks for the sling, we pick him up. And he comes on the radio and I recognize the voice and ends up being Graham McGinnis, who we were stationed with in New Orleans together. And reunited like in the heat of battle over there. (laughs) It was pretty cool. Um, And, uh, you know, so we took those people back to safety and and then let him reunite with his crew back at the air station. Oh, what a trip. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, it was, it was, it was wild, man. It was three days of that. And then the weather started to clear up and, uh, and uh, it became more of a, uh, the intensity died down a little bit. Um, Air Force came in, uh, National Guard, and then I then I was eventually recalled back to Air Station uh, Barinkin for Irma that was bearing down on the Caribbean. Holy cow! So you went yeah. from one hurricane to the next. That's right. Yeah, I mean Irma ended up not being um, well. I ended up missing Puerto Rico, but it did nail the Virgin Islands. So we, we did do a lot of work over in the Virgin Islands, uh, hoisting people. So, but it was, it was compared to, uh, to Harvey, my experiences, it was, it didn't compare really. Wow. Wow. Well, and, and that actually, so now that you just touched on Ir- Irma, you said, that's right. Irma. All right. So then we're, I'm going to fast forward to the next year from 13 to 20, September, 2018, with uh, uh it's in here somewhere hurricane florence are you kidding me like what, yeah. what are you like a hurricane magnet what <laughs> it, you know it it seemed like that for that few years was just like i couldn't escape any hurricane um and even before that was hurricane matthew which is kind of what started everything um before harvey i got sent to uh the back of a cutter and we pretty much followed hurricane matthew down underneath the uh, Dominican Republic and Haiti and just looking, uh, just cleaning up its mess that it left uh, down in Haiti. And uh, that was a, a pretty wild experience as well. Um, yeah, so Hurricane Matthew, then Harvey, then Irma. And then after Irma, we got dis- we got nailed by Maria. So living through Hurricane Maria was a pretty wild time too, without power and water for three months or so. Because you in were Puerto Rico. down, in, you were in Puerto Rico during that hurricane when that yeah. came through. Man, yeah, that was that was a wild experience. Uh, just living through that, my house got pretty 
pretty wrecked. I ended up having to move on base um, for the rest of my tour there, essentially. Uh, yeah, it was, that was just living through it. It was one thing. And then flying the, all the response and recovery efforts after that for months and months and months was, uh, was insane. Uh, lots of, lots of food and water and medicine deliveries up into the hills of Puerto Rico where people were cut off, uh, for, because of mudslides covering roads and things like that. Yeah. So then wow. I, I left, I left to Lang city thinking my days of hurricanes are beyond me. And <laughs> what do you know? Hurricane Florence two weeks after checking in, uh, <laughs> so they were looking for crews to put together and I told them, I, you know, let some other guys go. I've had my fair share of fun. And uh, I went home for the day and then received the call to pack my bags and get ready to go. Cause I was driving down to uh, Elizabeth city to, to base uh, uh, for hurricane uh, Florence. So, so yeah, packed up my stuff, <laughs> went down there with my crew and, um, and then, you know, was on the first uh, wave down there for hurricane Florence. Wow. Dude. Yeah, it's it just was nonstop, man. <laughs> well done. My yeah. gosh. Then if Hurricane Florence, so as soon as I got back from uh, North Carolina, uh, I actually, that was my last, that was my last SAR case at the time because then I picked up the uh, rotary wing air intercept qual and I started doing that solely for the next two years. So that was a good one to hang the cleats up on. Um, I, I felt like I went out on top. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you, you could say that you said five hurricanes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah. Wow, man. Good for you. Holy cow. Now you're, you're back in SAR again, right? Cause you. Yeah. Yep. I, so I just recently uh, went, got my, my advanced SAR qual back and now I'm standing dual, dual qualifications between AI and SAR. So, um, I mean, I'm not even sure if you know what AI is. So Rory Wing Air Intercept. Yeah, we, it's another mission that Coast Guard does. It's kind of, it's kind of, uh, it's becoming a bigger, uh, a bigger mission, but a lot of guys don't know about it if you're not really at Atlantic City or one of the units that support it. But essentially we're protecting the airspace over the president. So oh, the, wow. uh, cool. after 9-11, when they, they created a, a, a TFR, restricted airspace over the DC area, uh, we base out of DCA and we will, when anyone violates the airspace, we will launch and intercept them and then direct them away from that airspace. Um, so that, you know, it doesn't become a, doesn't escalate to a, a, a situation where use of force needs to be, um, needs to happen with, you know, the, uh, some of the fighters that, that will fly the intercept out of, out of uh, Andrews. Wow. Um, and then we'll also travel when the when the president travels. We'll we'll travel with the Secret Service and, and do the same thing whenever the TFRs pop up. Wow, that's yeah. pretty cool. So it's it's a cool mission. It's definitely different than what we're used to, you know, um, yeah. with the uh, search and rescue. So, um, but now I get the best of both worlds. Nice, go Coast Guard. Way to go, yeah. Coast Guard. Man, that's killer. Yeah, it's well, pretty. It's cool. Well, I'll tell you what, um, thanks for sharing all those stories. So now uh, I'm going to turn the floor over to you a little bit and, and you know, kind of if you had something to tell anybody or, or advice to give, uh, what would it be? Oh, man. Um, I know. I, I, I need to work yeah. on this and make it a little more specific, <laughs> don't I? I like the vagueness, well, though. 
you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I've, I've dealt with um, helping people who were interested in the Coast Guard uh, for the past, you know, 10 years or so. Actually, ever since social media became like a thing, you know, I, I've had a lot of people reach out to me through Instagram and stuff like that. Like, hey, I see you're you fly the dolphin. Like I'm, I'm curious about the coast guard. Uh, I'm in high school right now, or I'm trying to, so I've had to give this advice, um, to people before. And, uh, you know, you definitely want to start thinking about what path you want to take when, when you are probably in that young, uh, end of high school, college, you know, with the decisions you're making in life, you know, cause everything will help you, um, get into uh, a position where you can get into the cockpit, essentially. Um, yeah. So you, you, you know, you, you want to keep your nose clean, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and then from there, uh, there's just a lot of hurdles, you know, there was a lot of hurdles to get through to get to aviation, you know, I had to get through college, I had to uh, get picked up for OCS, I had to get eye surgery, I had to apply and get into flight school and then flight school was challenging and there was a lot of hurdles along the way for flight school and then and then eventually that led me to uh new orleans and then brinken and then lang city and and got to do all the things i wanted to do um and it's a long it's it's not a quick easy process i guess is what i'm trying to say so uh, if it's something that you really want, uh, stick with it. And you may have to apply to OCS several times. You may have to apply to flight school several times. Um, don't give up after that first try. Keep going. And there's no shame in, in getting picked up on your second, third, fourth, fifth try. Um, sometimes it's just timing, you know, like you don't know that. It's not because you're not, you don't have what it takes. It, it's just because they may have exceeded their budget that year. You know, it doesn't, it's just transparent to you as the applicant. So, right. um, yeah, so just keep pushing. And if it's something you really want and desire, like you can attain it. And, uh, and then once you get here, um, you know, just enjoy the ride, you know, even when you're doing, <laughs> you know, I, I, I gotta remind myself that all the time, you know, because it's the, I'm, I'm living my dream and there's times I, you know, it's there's times I'm like, man, I'm frustrated with the Coast Guard right now. And I, I don't want to do this, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't want to go out and yes. do this training flight right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, like this reality absolutely. of it. Like, it's still so a job it's, and everybody gets like, frustrated with it. It's still a job. Yes. Yeah. But and, it's a job you love. <laughs> and it's a job you love. And you, and you just got to take a step back and be like, I'm, I'm complaining about going to fly a pattern beater. Like, yeah, it's kind of boring. We did, I did three of them this week, but that's amazing. Like it's yeah, amazing. Right? <laughs> I'm getting paid to go fly this helicopter with these great crews and yeah. made awesome friends along the way and had a great experiences. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's, it's a, it's a great ride. Man. I love it. That is awesome. All right. I, I, I want to circle around back to one specific thing. Cause I, I did take a little note here and one of the things you said uh, just in all of your training, everything you got to, it was, you know, luck of the draw to, to just so happens you ended up with like five hurricanes. Um, yeah. You know, and you made You made a statement. You said any crew can do it. We're all trained for it. And that is so accurate. And, you know, we, myself included, we've gotten cases, we've gotten rescues where they were notable rescues. 
but I 100% agree with you. Every one of us could get it and every one of us could do it. It just so happens you're the guy on duty when that SAR alarm goes off. Exactly, yeah, yep. And that's and that's why the Coast Guard has a model of, of success because you can take any person in any role and plug them into the helicopter and it's all standardized and we all know what to do. So, you know, that's why Katrina works so well. Um, you, it, everybody has has their job and knows how to do it and it, it's standard across the board. Um, yeah, so, and the training program is excellent. So everyone is very well-versed and very, you know, very good at what they do. Totally, but, totally. Yeah, I mean, in the, in the awards, you know, I, I'm very proud of of the things that I've done and, and you know, I'm proud of the awards I received, but, but yeah, I mean, like, that's just what I'm trying to say, like anyone who got the call would have, uh, would have gotten the mission done. And there's cases that I got zero recognition for that are, are really the ones that mean the most to me. Ooh, um, you know, yeah. I, I haven't hung up with you yet. I, I'm all on board. <laughs> uh, I mean, so like the first case I had in the right seat hoisting. So in the, in the Coast Guard, in the, in, in the helicopter, the right seat pilot is the pilot in command. And they're the one who is actually on the controls conducting the hoist. Um, of the survivor from the water. So my first time sitting in the right seat, I was a co-pilot and that case was was some was one that I, I just I can't forget and will always be with me. And, and I you know we got the swimmer an award, I think, but not the crew. Um, it was uh, there it was a shrimping vessel off of New Orleans. It was heavy seas and uh, the captain had his leg amputated from uh, the uh, the engine room. Um, something on the on the on the shaft of the engine took his leg clean off. Holy um, cow! So threading the, the swimmer through the rigging and and getting him packaged up and then flying away and then looking down to my left and seeing that stump there. I mean, it, that was that was a very rewarding case for me because he you know he probably wouldn't have made it if we didn't get him um, and and get him to the hospital so that he could you know, live to fish another day. Uh, and then the, the crazy thing is, is I had an uh, exact same case maybe a year later, and it was my first case as an aircraft commander. Same exact case, shrimp, shrimp vessel off the coast of New Orleans, captain, leg amputated. And this time it was from the anchor chain. And, uh, you know, same swimmer. Nick Litchfield, who's now a pilot. He went to Officer Cannon School. Now he's a pilot, uh, 65 pilot down in Savannah. Great guy. We were together on both of them, collecting limbs, pretty much, essentially. But uh, holy cow! <laughs> those are those are just because of I think the circumstance of my first time from the right seat and my first time as an aircraft commander. I mean, those are cases that uh, that really stuck with me. And then, I mean, even recently here, I was surfing and picked up a lady out of the, out of the surf. She got caught in a rip current. That was off duty. You know what I mean? This one's just for me. No one saw it. It was just, <laughs> but honestly, like I, I walked away from the beach that day feeling like a, like a damn hero. I mean, that was probably hit one that one hit home pretty good. Uh, more so than a lot of this coast guard cases I've had, but. Oh, well, but, well know, give but, me a rundown on that one. So, all right. So a lady, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, it so, just happened to be no, right God, again. Come on, right, right place at the right time. I'm all about yeah, it. Yeah, right place, right time. Because only reason I'm talking about this because I because I am this one. I'm like super proud of, and it's like you should be one that I'm the only one there. No one knows. Um, but I was surfing or trying to surf. I was getting my butt kicked, and it was a little <laughs> rough out. And you know, it's not it's not Puerto Rico. You know, I'm in a wetsuit, and it's not the crystal clear waters. So I'm out there trying to have a good time, and finally uh, caught one in. It was like it's time to call it a day. And there was a huge rip current right next to me. And as I'm walking out, I see a lady who's kind of like in the water near it. And I was like, Oh, I better go tell her, uh, to be careful because she's right next to this rip current. And as I'm walking over to her, I see another lady and it, and she's drifting out to sea, like, like in a river, essentially. Like, I mean, she is a coconut that's a hundred yards offshore now and getting further away. And I, I, you know, it's one of those things, like, I feel like being in a, in a position of, uh, of response, a responder, or like, you know, first responder, like you just, you're, you're kind of trained, I think, to have a, a greater situational awareness of things around you, and then to act when those things, um, when you encounter those things. So, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, I blacked out, I just grabbed my board, and I went, you know, I didn't, it was zero, zero hesitation, grabbed the board, went out, and um, got to her uh, in the rip current. And she was, you know, she was, el- she was older. She was overweight. She was probably, uh, her, her, she was going underwater and not coming back and, uh, back up as quickly every time. So, I mean, she was definitely my years of being a, a, a beach lifeguard kind of kicked in and, and, uh, I grabbed her, threw on the board, paddled her in. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a good moment on the beach, um, with her and her family. Like, uh, you know, it, it just, it was, it was a good time. It was, I felt, I felt really, uh, really good after that day, even though I couldn't catch a wave, at least I saved the lady. <laughs> wow, yeah. Matt, welcome to my world. That's awesome. I know, man, dude, I wanted to be a swimmer, you know, like that was, I told the, I told the recruiter, uh, and he's like, yeah, sounds like a great plan. Go to officer cannon school. Your, your dreams will come true. And then I was in officer <laughs> candidate school and I, they, they're like, yeah, you have to be enlisted to be a rescue swimmer. And I was like, what? He lied. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Yeah. Dude, but awesome. I have a lot of respect for uh, for the rescue swimmers and really any, really all of our missions and all of our rates. You know what? It's, it's, everyone's I, I a cog you. in the wheel, you know? Yeah. And I thank you for that. And, and you know what? I have a lot of respect for all my pilots because you guys do a lot of work up there. And you know, uh, you, you actually just made another comment of, you know, the swimmer got an award for the first amputated leg and the air yeah. crew pro- maybe didn't, or, you know, um, that, that is how it goes sometimes, but yeah. you guys work your ass off up there. And I know that. And I know that as a hoist operator, I know that as a swimmer, I know that as an air crewman, you know, it's, it's impressive to watch you guys work and, and um, good job. For sure. Yeah. I mean, everyone's working together to get the job done. Yeah. It is a very much a team effort. And for anybody out there that thinks it's a one man job, they are sadly mistaken. You cannot do this without a good crew up front, a good hoister operator in the back and a good guy that knows what he's doing on the ground or in the water. So. Yep. Teamwork makes the dream work. Oh man. Come on. (laughs) Did you just drop that? That was sick. I don't know where that came from. You're so full of it. I love it. <laughs> it's on a poster behind me right now. Oh, it's beautiful. 
Well, Matt, I will not keep you anymore. Thank you so much for joining I know. me. Especially, I feel like uh, we could talk all uh, talk all night, huh? Dude, we could. We could. Um, Lots of stories. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. I, yeah. I, I no, really, it's good. It's fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, and on that, we are out of here. <laughs> thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.